I think there is a deep question in all of us that is like, well, shit, like what will hold us now? Mm-hmm. And really that was, that was ultimately the question. Um, the question I was asking with, with my mom as we were moving through this journey. Welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. I'm host, Jennifer Griffith. Steph Jagger isn't afraid. Her life and work are as deep as the 4 million vertical feet she skied in one year to break a world record. That journey is the basis of her first book, Unbound, a story of snow and self-discovery. What she wrote next, Everything Left to Remember, is an examination of the transition from maiden to mother. Well, Steph, welcome to About Your Mother, where your story begins. It's an honor to have you today. It's just an honor to be here. Gosh, About Your Mother, we couldn't find a better topic for this book. We couldn't find a better topic. And as you know, I'm a big fan of yours. And with the release of your second book, which we'll get to in a minute, I don't think there's a better guest to be on the show. You're just one of those people where this is exactly why I created the podcast is to tell stories like you do. So, but first I have to introduce you, you through your first book, Unbound, The Ski-Bound Blizzard of Oz, because how incredible, 4 million vertical feet. So let's just start with the process of that writing journey and how it led to you to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, gosh, so Unbound was a book that came out in 2017. It was about a ski journey I took in 2010, 2011. And really, on so many fronts, that was what I would consider, you know, my maiden voyage, the maiden voyage in the world of, you know, who am I without all of the roles I played in my teens and 20s? You know, what is my unique sense of power in the world? And what are the things that really light me up? And, and also from a creative standpoint, then, you know, flip years later after the ski trip, after the love story, after the world record of vertical feet skied, et cetera, when I went into the writing process of it, that, that also was a maiden journey for me in regards to that was my first book. I, I do not have an MFA. I don't still to this day, don't know how to use a comma properly. <laughs> Me <laughs> and Grammarly is not helping. I thought it would cure that. <laughs> right. Thank goodness for editors. That creative process really, I think, pulled me through. If, if we're going to extend that, you know, made in that archetypal language, it really pulled me through from maiden to mother. Like, what is my unique sense of power in the world? And then how do I use that to allow things to be created through me? which I think is the quintessential question of mother, whether that's you're creating actual lives and children or whether you're you know, creating businesses or whether you're creating, you know, doing creative projects, et cetera. So I think, you know, gosh, that book allowed me to explore, that journey allowed me to explore, you know, my individual power in the world, which I think is a quintessential maiden question. And, and the creative process pulled me through to the other side. You know, how will I let this life come through me and, and how will I let things be created in that process? That's amazing. And what a journey. I mean, heaven, so inspirational on so many fronts. And I loved that. I loved your stance that memoir does not have to come from a broken place. I read that in an interview that you did, right. It, that, that it is a journey sometimes of just learning how to love yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I think this specifically for female written memoir, I am a big, big believer that we need stories, a multitude of them from a multitude of different voices, 
and and we need stories that tell us how to pick up the pieces when life, you know, shatters. Absolutely. Like that's imperative. I think as women, we also need stories of how to exactly what you said, you know, how to love ourselves into our own bigness, even if something hasn't shattered. Mm-hmm. And, and we very rarely hear those stories from women you know, as in, in comparison to a lot of the kind of male written memoir. And so I felt that was a really, really important story to tell, especially, especially in that formative stage of Maiden, of, I know I'm going to reject this system, this job, this role, this, you know, that's the, that we do, we separate and reject and we rebel. And, and yet we aren't quite sure what it is we do want. And there's a, there's a grappling of self in that phase that may or may not include some of our wounds and, and brokenness. But if, if it doesn't, we still need to grapple with that. We still need to understand that we're worthy and valuable and, and full of love. And I think those are important, just as important stories as, as how to pick up pieces if, you know, if life has come in with a bit of a wrecking ball. So I think we need both. Yeah. It's interesting. You said that because I too left a tech career, right? And I think through that process, it was raising my son and looking at the word mother and what mother meant to me. Mm -hmm. And also in some profound way, learning how to mother myself, Yes, Yes. right? And and to take the lessons that you want to keep and and let go of the ones that you don't. So six years ago, your mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yes. And then this starts a journey for you. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. So um, my mother was diagnosed, gosh, we're almost coming up on seven years. So she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in the summer of 2015. There'd been signs for quite a number of years prior to that. And then about 10 months later, her and I went on a road trip together. We we drove through multiple different national parks of the Rocky Mountains West. And we, we camped, called it tenting. It was so cute. And we, we tented and we hiked and we went on horseback rides and whitewater rafting and, you know, did, did a, a large journey. And so I've written a, a book about that journey, which of course, you know, that serves as the backbone as the kind of chronological journey that we took. But, but really there's a, there's a question in there of uh, multiple actually of, you know, as she begins to fade and disappear who am I with her? Who am I without her? What will hold me and and what will reflect my identity back to me as she is, you know, really no longer capable of doing that job in my life. And so there's a, there's a, you know, some really, really big, not only mother daughter threads, but, you know, Jennifer, I think, especially over the last couple of years, you know, all of us have seen and had experiences of something or multiple things that we we thought were going to hold us steady and we thought were secure and safe begin to kind of disappear, crumble, collapse, shift. And I think there is a deep question in all of us that is like, well, shit, like what will hold us now? Mm-hmm. And really that was, that was ultimately the question, the question I was asking with, with my mom as we were moving through this journey. Yeah. And there's well, two tenets to that. So what have you found as you kind of as life gets rattled and the things that we thought were going to be our foundation are ripped from us. I think we can all, like you said, all identify with that. What were some of the things that you found on this journey in in reflection and writing the book? Yeah. Well, I think you've alluded to one of them already is, is the profundity in the process of remothering or parenting self. You know, if, if she is no longer going to reflect myself back to me, you know, how do I do that? How do I come into a closer connection to self? How do I 
How do I attune to self? You know, I, I think so many of us, you know, when we go back to when we're little, you know, so much of our desire is a need really is to have someone's eyes light up when we walk in the room mm-hmm. consistently. And, and that has become a deep question for myself. Like, do my eyes light up when I walk in the room and am I there for myself in that way? And I think there was a, you know, really, really part of the process that was, was, were those questions that attunement to self and intimacy and connection to self and reparenting. I think the second large thread for me, and and this, this runs through all of my work and, you know, you can see it, we're on video today and you can see it. It's, it's quite literally right outside of my window. It is. And it it must be part of the, (laughs) the it's beautiful. Yeah. my, My relationship with nature that, my mother, there's complexity, I think, to every mother-daughter relationship, but my mother played a big role for me. And I, and I don't know um, a mother bigger than my own other than mother nature. And that was kind of an aha of, oh, this is the place that I can go to have myself reflected back. It takes intentionality. It takes a willingness to sit and kind of endure you know, moments of self or, or silence, but that I, I actually think my own mother kind of trained me for that. She was a demonstratively warm person, but a woman of few words. And mm. so I think my comfort level in nature was kind of given a boost because of the way that my mother mothered me. Yeah. Wow. Demonstratively warm, but a few words. I mean, hello. I mean, of course you must find her out in mother nature all the time. And that kind of comfort, that's really gives me goosebumps. That's so beautiful. I can feel it. I love it. I have to say this, this Alzheimer's question and this idea of when, like, how do we, a desire to remember. And then what happens when a lineage of women forget themselves, that's how you said it. Because your grandmother and your godmother and your mother are all affected in this way. How have you, because I have so many friends going through this, mm-hmm. there's two tenets to it. They see it and they're, they're losing their mother, the identity mother, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and then they're terrified, quite frankly, <sighs> of, right? Yes. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how you've processed this? Because you are so centered and you have done the work. Maybe you can share yeah. a little yeah. bit of what it's like to go through this experience watching a parent. Yeah, there, there's there's a, a part of it that's excruciating, quite terrifying in the loss of them, right? Yeah. There's also something that's quite like a pretty big internal quaking with the idea of like, is this going to happen to me, you know, or my sister or my brothers, you know, this is inside of our lineage. And I think what's given me solace with that is, is to kind of really to think about the word remembrance. And, and this, this, there was a huge aha for me when I, I I picked up a book, I'm always like looking at mythology and I, I picked up a book and I was reading the old Egyptian story of Isis and Osiris, this like husband, wife, sister, brother, you know, in the Egyptian mythology, they're like all the roles with each other. Yeah. And, you know, that story was really about Osiris, the man being like the threat to the kingdom or, you know, whatever it was. And, and, and the enemies took him and they literally dismembered him. They cut him into nine pieces and spread him out all over Egypt. And so Isis, the, the wife, sister, queen, was like, this shall not do. We can't have this. And so she and her sister went and found all of the pieces and remembered him. Mm. 
And as soon as I I saw the word in that format, R-E-dash-membered, remembered, oh I, thought, I thought, okay, this is, this is what we do. We cut parts of ourselves off. We disassociate from, we slice off, we stuff away, we don't allow our wholeness. We, we say anger isn't allowed here. That part's gone. Like ship that up the Nile, you know, uh, our, our worthiness. No, no, we're, we're not allowed to ask for X, Y, Z in our life. So that part gets cut off and moved away. Shame, you know, all of these different things. And, and I don't know. I mean, I just kind of sit and like say my prayers that this is the route forward. It provides, at least it provides solace for me. I don't know if it's actually going to change the future if the future is, this is the way, this is the path I'm going down. But to kind of actively think about the process of remembering myself Mm -hmm. and bringing myself back into as much wholeness as possible, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, that provides me with a lot of solace. And I, and I think you know, the research being done in trauma and epigenetics, you know, I, I think may have an impact on the future of my long-term cognitive health and, and ability to maintain, you know, physical and mental health as I age. So that's just been a path that I, I have been really deeply committed to. And what are the ways that I can spend time remembering myself, finding all of the pieces that I moved away from and how do I move toward them and, and invite them back as, as part of who I am now? So many aha moments there. You've really got me thinking because I often reference, you know, trauma unaddressed is trauma transferred. And so one of the things and that we've connected on to my mother's yeah. story of having a very traumatic childhood and, and landing in an orphanage, hmm. and it ultimately led her to give up her firstborn, my brother, for adoption. Yeah. And I think the calling in my book was to make sense of that, to put those pieces together to yeah. be, like you say, remembrance of, of putting all of that in one place in the hopes of being stronger, like that tree behind you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, this is a story that we share, you know, the same yep. thing. My mother and father gave a child up early right after high school and, you know, went and, you know, kept all of that a secret. And, and, you know, gosh, speaking of remembrance, you know, we, just before we pressed record, I was telling you a story of how that, that brother and I had a conversation last night. We've known each other for years. We've been reunited to know each other for years, but really had a conversation about the book. And it, it, it really did feel like the final piece of like the family, the lineage being remembered. Right. Like, okay, we got it. We're here. We see each other. The pain doesn't have to continue. And I, and I, I completely agree with you. There's a beautiful quote, a woman, Steffi Wagner pain travels through families until somebody is ready to feel it. Yes. And and I think, you know, my siblings all have, all have kids, God bless them. (laughs) And and I really think they are meant to like continue the lineage. And in many ways there was a role for me to play in the healing of it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have kids. And so I could really dedicate a lot of time and energy in a different way to to the remembrance, not only of myself, but of, you know, what's happening inside of a lineage. Yeah. And we've talked about this. So what was the reunion like for your family? Cause before we hit record, we were on this topic yeah. and it's happening to families unexpectedly. And yeah. it's, a, it's, let me just say, if I may, it's trending. And we've already been through it. And so I think there's a lot that you can share that we can yeah. share about this experience that helps people. 
because sometimes it is a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the story of my family, my parents were high school sweethearts. They, they got pregnant in the sixties, you know, gave that child up for adoption, got married a couple years later, had, had myself and my, my three other siblings. Wow. And, and all of that early pregnancy and adoption was kept a secret. Um, until this was in British Columbia, Canada, until the adoption laws changed at some point in the early 90s to allow for adopt uh, for the parents to search for children. Prior to that, it was it was the other way around. Only children could search for parents. And so when this happened, I think it kind of caused my parents to go like, oh, like yeah. we could do this. And I think there was some internal grappling between them and should we, and you know, what is this going to look like, et cetera. Long story short, they chose to do that. Once they actually were able to find him, they then told all of us. And, And at that point we ranged in age, I was about 11 or 12. My sister was about 17 or 18. So, you know, the four of us kind of in that age range. So they sat us down and, you know, said we had this child in high school and we now are attempting to find him. And we don't know if he will be open to that. You know, we don't know the path forward, but they kind of educated us at that at that point. And I talk about this in the book, you know, the impact of that and the kind of confusion around that as a, as, as a you know, 11, 12 year old. Mm-hmm. And then the journey forward from that place. And what ended up happening is, is they were able to get in touch with him. Letters were, well, first of all, does he know he's adopted? Oh yeah. You know, he did, you know, is he open to having a relationship? Yes. With some boundaries, like letters were exchanged first through a, like they didn't know each other's addresses. It was done through a different agency so that there was some anonymity and some safety built in. Yes. Once there was letters then exchanged, there was that they moved to phone calls, you know, it was a really slow process. And then once phone calls happened, Eventually my, my parents went out to visit him and then he eventually came out to visit us. Now I was again, 12, 13 at the time, as I look back as an adult, I can only imagine how absolutely overwhelming that would be for him to like come into like the Brady bunch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. So um, much empathy and, there. Right. Yeah, oh. yeah. And just, you know, just the experience of, of meeting a stranger who is very much like you. Yes. Is, is astounding in so many, it's miraculous in so many different ways. And, and our relationship, you know, um, individually as well as within the family has, has just slowly over time increased and deepened, you know, to the point now where, you know, him and his wife and kids are really, part of our family. He has since, you know, lost both of his adoptive parents because they, you know, they were much older. They had tried to have kids for, you know, a long time. And, gotcha. and, and my parents, you know, really, really, you know, became the grandparents of, of his kids. And there's, there's a lot inside of there, but I, gosh, I can't tell you what a gift that phone call was last, last night with him, just talking about the book and, you know, what it meant from his side and, you know, just hearing him say like, you know, reading it made me feel like I was standing next to her, you know, in in regards to my mother, just, just, you know, the voice, the descriptions of the way that she stood, you know, various different things. So it's astounding to think, you know, some very shame filled event in the 1960s that was 
you, you cannot talk about this. You cannot mention this to people. We're telling people that you went to finishing school in Europe. You know, this is the narrative that, that my mother was given. Yeah. To, to fast forward, you know, 50 some odd years to a place where these two strangers are, are connecting on a level of, of, of healing really, that is just, I don't know. It's just, it's miraculous to me. And I know, and I know we talked about this that last night on the phone, him and I really how lucky we are that, that, that most of the people, almost every single person in the family kind of has done enough work or is emotionally able enough. Like, like there, there's not, there's not so much shame or anger or, you know, held on to that you couldn't create a connection for a lot of people. There's, there's so many different circumstances. There's so many different circumstances that women find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy and the trauma that's carried forward from that place is very different and very unique. So I also want to say, you know, when people hear like, great, it was a fabulous reunion and we're now, we now connect and we bond. I mean, I know that's not the case for a lot of people. No, and I know it's, it's, it's an excruciating thing for many, many people to endure that, that there was such pain at the inception at the creation of that child that they, it, you know, you can't even, it, it's, you can't stay in your body and be in the same room as them. And that's, that's, yeah. that creates a lot of pain. So I, I understand that side of it as well. From where I stand, I just, I just feel like I've been inside of a kind of kaleidoscopic time bending miracle with all of it. It's been astounding. Yeah. And, and I, and I think the more you share, perhaps you'll help somebody let go a little bit of the shame because it is such a, it's so rooted in trauma and shame. Like you said, you know, my mother was told, you know, forget what happened to you here. How do you do that? How do you give birth to a child and then be told to forget that it happened to you? Well, I think this is, this is one of the main, you know, certainly not, I am not a scientist. I am not a medical expert, uh, specifically as it relates to Alzheimer's, but from a myth, from a creative and a, and a lens of like mythopoetics. Yes. Her first tool that she was given as she moved from maiden to mother was you shall forget this. Mm. Like you must forget. So it, it makes complete sense to me that as she moved from kind of mother to crone, that she would reach for the same tool. Yeah. And so for me, that idea of, of the strategy of let's erase this experience from your memory, which you can do, but you can't erase it from your body. You just right. can't. And so, so this is either going to pass along to somebody else, or you're going to have to revisit it in some way. Like the parallels of her experience with Alzheimer's and her experience in the sixties, like moving into a home for unwed mothers and moving into a care facility, moving into a home for unwed mothers when nobody could visit, moving into a care facility during COVID when nobody could visit. Like, I mean, mm. I could go on and on about the parallels, but I, I saw her again from the lens of like kind of mythopoetics. I saw her going back in time to that 18 year old self and being like, I'm going to redo this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to redo this and I'm going to restitch this wound and it's going to set the lineage free and dear daughter, you're going to tell the story. <laughs> oh, dear daughter, you are look at yeah, right. Yeah. And it is, yeah. it's important work. You have to. Yeah. For, for everyone, especially yourself, but your whole family. And it's so true. You can draw those parallels. And I mean, we're, we're all guilty of it. We, we get it in a familiar trauma environment and we just re regress to the, to the past and, and what we felt. 
whatever's yeah. in our bones and our D and then DNA, it comes yeah. right out. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, <laughs> which is probably when we should go walk in the woods by the beautiful tree by yeah. your house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you held up this mirror and you were going through this whole process, how was it for you? What was this writing process like? The writing process for this book was very different than Unbound. How so? I would, I would again go back to the comparison of Maiden and Mother. Yeah. Quintessential maiden energy to me does have a bit of like masculinity in its in its like I'm going to bring out my sword and shield. I'm gonna I'm gonna create a linear path forward for myself. I'm you know I'm still operating within this kind of system and structure of the world. And so that writing process for Unbound was very linear. I had a I had a story arc. I had the hero's journey. I had a timeline. I, I wrote to that. It was quite steady. That was that experience. I think with with Unbound, I or with everything left to remember, I attempted to do the same thing. It's like, okay, I'm doing this again, and and almost as soon as I kind of started, I found myself meandering off of that and really moving into more of an ebb and a flow and an unknown, and almost being surprised by my own story, which is hard to do. Yeah, and I and I think the way I would I would describe it is is almost very womb like it felt like I was kind of blindly walking around and I really had to use my senses to like run my hand along the wall of the story to find, is it here? Is the door here? Is it there? Before kind of, you know, tumbling into something. And I, I recently heard an author talk about, about their process and, and what she said, really, I, I was like, that's it for me. And she said, you know, if she was talking about fiction, but I, I found this the same with this journey. So if you allow yourself to like feel into something intuitively and fall down, you know, the rabbit hole of a particular scene or a particular story and just let it guide you. And if you do that over and over again, it might feel wildly uncomfortable in that now you've fallen down 10 different rabbit holes and you don't know how they all add up or connect or if they do, you know, but if you allow that, usually at some point, those places that you've wandered to begin to constellate. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a star point here and a star point there and a star point. There. And at some point in the journey, you're like, Oh my gosh, we're talking about Orion's belt here, you know? And, and that felt so deeply resonant also because there is a lot of talk in the book about, you know, we're in big sky, Montana, there's stars. And I, and I, talk about that in a particular way and constellation. So it was kind of doubly resonant, but I, that's how I found the process for everything left to remember. There was a lot of, a lot of discomfort for the unknowns. Like, why am I writing about this part of this trip in this way? Or why am I talking about these dreams? Or why do I feel so compelled to spend so much time on this section? I don't know how it fits with the overarching story and it felt like kind of blindly wandering around and then there were moments where I just kind of experienced like oh my gosh I'm starting to see how this might connect and it and it took a commitment to that unknown to 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 be able to wander kind of wildly through that place and very very uncomfortably through that to get comfortable in the discomfort mm -hmm. before I could really see what was going on big picture I love it. 
it felt very womb-like. Like, I don't know what's in there. I can't, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Is it sloshing around? Brown hair? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to eat the right food. And these are what kind of walk my steps. I'm trying to prepare the nursery. And, and there's these points that you're kind of like, Oh, there are the features. There's the outline, you know? So it it felt very much in fitting with both of the journeys of, you know, maiden being so, so much the focus of, of unbound um, and and mother being so much of a focus of everything left to remember. Yeah. And you wowed yourself in a way. (laughs) I, you know, I, it's hard to be surprised by your own story. You think you know yourself in and out. You think you know the story inside and out. That's kind of some of the reason you're compelled to write it. Like, oh, this is great because the story is blank, you know. Yeah. But to allow yourself to be surprised by your own findings and surprised by your own emotions, I think, I think is a uh, you know an important part of the process, or at least was for me for everything left to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. So, so good. And mental health is important to you. How do you take care of yourself when you're doing something like this, following the whisper or the calling? You know, I was talking to my best friend yesterday and she was like, you know, Steph, I'm, I'm really proud of you. Like witnessing what you did. She, and she reminded me of something. She's like, I don't know what year it was. Like time is a kaleidoscope in COVID. But remember that summer you, and and I, before she even finished, I cut her off and I was like, oh my gosh, I do. And she's like, you slept outside for a month. I did. I, 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 I could barely stand being in the bounds of something, a house. I don't know. I just, I felt I needed to be like on the earth. And I don't remember what summer it was either. Was it 2019? Was it 2020? Was it 2021? I have no idea. I think it was kaleidoscope of COVID. I love it. It's so true. And you know, what's today? (laughs) Yeah. and And I think, you know, there's lots of different things I do for a mental health perspective. I think this, this, this comes back to the conversation of remembrance. Am I willing to endure, to be with and, and remember all of the emotions and felt sensations that I've, I've in the past tried to move away from that cause me so much anguish and, and can, if I spend too much time resisting those can move me into different mental health states, anxiety, depression. And so can I bring those back and learn to be with those Mm -hmm. is a really big thing. And, and the other thing is, you know, I alluded to with the story with my best friend is, you know, I'm going to allow myself to wander to the edges, which might, create a tip over into a place from a mental health perspective that isn't quote unquote balanced. And I have, you know, certainly my husband, but I have a lot of female creatives in my life where we will, we will tell each other point blank. I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to, I'm going to spend this next month on the edge. Like I'm going to sleep outside. I'm going to get feral (laughs) (laughs) and, and keep an eye on me. Mm -hmm. Like if, just keep, keep a loving eye on me, check on me, like pull me. If you feel like not because you're scared, but if you really feel me tipping over into stuff that, that is, is, you know, too much is getting into the too much, too soon, too fast. That's, that's the, you know, definition of trauma. Yeah. Then, then pull me back in for a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a phenomenal group of female creatives and, and women and, you know, Linda and her group, you know, I met some of them there in that group that, yeah that we serve as a, you know, these kinds of things run in my family. And when I'm exploring my creativity kind of as freely and wildly 
as I can, there's a pattern inside of my family that sometimes people don't come back from that place. Mm -hmm. And so I need you to keep an eye on me and I need you to like have a loose tether and pull me back Mm. if I, if I need it. Yeah. So important because it is, it's, it can be grueling work to put those pieces all back together. Right. In the form of a book or whatever art that you're doing. So hats off to you that you have a tribe. Good. What's a word that to describe your mother? Oh gosh, a word to describe my mother. The first thing that comes to mind is, is, is wolf. And and what I mean by that, I write about this in the book is that, you know, I used to think that alpha wolves were known for like being the fiercest and maybe they could hunt the best or kill the most food for their families, et cetera. But, but actually the alpha wolf is the, um, the one with the lowest heartbeat and, and the steadiest, calmest. And so that's my mother quintessentially. She was the steadiest heartbeat in the room. Beautiful. I love that. What do you think she would say about the book? Well, she's a woman of no, very few, few words. words so true. I, don't think she, <laughs> I don't think she would say, I don't think she would say very much, but <laughs> I get, I get the sense energetically that she's content and proud. My dad sent me a video. He took a book, a copy of the book into her to read to her. Yeah. It's like they're like right out of the notebook, these two. It's so cute. I love it. He took a copy of the book in, he was reading it to her, he handed it over to her, and he sent me a video that she, she where she wouldn't let go of it. <gasps> oh, yeah. There's another round of chills. That's like 10 I know, times. I know. Like one, he was, he was like trying to pull it from her hands to like, you know, get she you know, caught, the Oh, stop it. it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. On that note, she feels it. All yeah. of it, all that beautiful work you've done yeah. on behalf of not just yourself, your whole family. Yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you, Steph. Thanks. You're a rock star. You know that, right? Well, I don't know if I'm a rock star. I have a rock star last name. I'll give you that. Um, but <laughs> but I, I, I feel like, you know, it goes back to the stars. Like I live inside of a constellation and, and sure, I'll call myself a star, but I would be nothing without the others beside me you know, and including my mother, including my family, you know, that, that that's really what makes the stories is, is when all of us come together in that kind of collection and communion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on your second beautiful book. So excited Thank for you. Thank you. Thank you for this. Gosh, this is an amazing conversation. <laughs> Isn't it fun? It is. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. If favorite things to do. Thank yeah. you for being open and taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I just honor your work and everything that you do. Thank you. Well, hopefully the paths weave together in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to Steph share her writing journey and life lessons reminds me of walking in nature and the calmness dirt, air, and trees can bring to your life. What I have found in having these types of conversations is that we are all more connected to one another than we could ever imagine. If only we listen. Steph's book, Everything Left to Remember, is available for sale now. Please visit her website, stephjagger.com, to get your copy. Her Instagram is stephjagger, spelled just like the rocker, because she's a rock star too. Until next time, stay curious and be well.